All right, here we go in three, two, one. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. So we see a lot of technology, a lot of people wanting their product to be the difference maker in sports. Some some are good, some are not. Some are helpful, some are not. Some are attainable, and some are not. So uh, Kevin Wright from Athlete Intelligence reached out to me. And I said, you know what? I don't really know anything about this product. I'm probably not the only person. And so I intentionally didn't do any research. And then I asked my the Facebook secondary school Facebook group if they had any questions. So I got some questions from Mark H. as well. But uh, Kevin Wright and Andrew Golden are the guys that are going to be speaking here about athlete intelligence. They're going to give us the information. And then we're going to go through the questions that, that I have or that you guys have come up with on uh, through messaging and things like that. So without much further ado, Kevin, welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. And Andrew, welcome. Well, I appreciate so. it. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Thanks for having us on. And it's a pretty, pretty cool uh, setup you got going, just, you know, getting the kids involved, getting other people involved. And I've been on a lot of podcasts, but this is a really sweet dynamic. So uh, again, just thanks for having us on. Sure thing. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash athlete intelligence. And if you're like me, you have to double check how you spell intelligence because for some reason I always put one L instead of two in intelligence, which seems really funny that you can't and spell intelligence. But so it's sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash athlete intelligence. Again, spelled correctly, athlete intelligence. All right. So Andrew... You said you've heard every sort of question in regards to athlete intelligence. So kind of give us the the intro sales pitch, the hook, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, you know, you you mentioned um, in your intro that um, you haven't really been introduced to this technology. You don't know a lot about it. And in fact, you fall within about 95 percent of um, the sports market who um still hasn't really been properly introduced to this type of technology and even more specifically of how it helps coaches, how it helps the athletic trainers, how it helps student athletes. Um, And so um, athlete intelligence really at the end of the day is a sports data analytics company. Uh, We've developed wearable sensor technology that tracks impact quantities, uh, impact locations um, and impact severity. So how hard of an impact Um, But what becomes valuable is how we provide that data in a digestible, automated and pre-analyzed system. So coaches and so athletic trainers can use that information to improve athlete technique, improve athlete performance, and ultimately uh, uh, improve athlete health safety. All right. All right. So basically data collection, athlete movement analysis. All right. So tell me just a little bit more details about the product. So now we got the, the overview of what it is, but um, whenever I went to the website, one of the first things I saw was the vector mouthpiece and then the little headband sport clip thing. Um, so again, like I said, I intentionally didn't do the research because I wanted wanted to kind of just see what you guys have to say. Go from there. Tell me a little bit more about the the tech, the hardware, the software, all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, um, the wearable technology that we've developed is really just data collection devices. Uh, They specialize on collecting data on um, where impacts take place. 
uh, more specifically, the crown of the head is really a, a spot on the athlete's head that we, we focus on. Um, how hard of an impact. So we look at the G-force of, of head impacts that athletes are taking um, and then quantities. So um, looking at it from a workload standpoint and um, to do that, we have three different types of wearable sensors that we've created. Um, the entry-level product that we developed is called our Q-Sport sensor. Um, that sensor was designed for uh, youth programs uh, or high schools that typically have smaller teams. Uh, it's a Bluetooth-enabled product, and so it really just requires a mobile phone uh, or an iPad um, to operate. And what happens is during a session, we are collecting and storing all of that data on the sensor itself. And then following a session, that data can then be downloaded where uh, once downloaded, our system produces automated reports and teams can access our web-based platforms where we have uh, um, far more uh, advanced analytics. The second product, um, um, that we have and probably our more premium product is our vector mouth guard. In fact, that was the first product that we actually commercialized in 2015, beta tested and commercialized it with the LSU football program. Um, and today has really been product of choice for a lot of uh, research universities, research institutions. Um, being a mouth guard, we're able to get a far more advanced level of data analytics, things like waveform uh, um, data points uh, of an impact, uh, peak linear acceleration, rotational velocity, far more advanced information than I think teams would use as a coaching or athletic training tool. Um, but one of the things that became very attractive to um, teams within our mouth guard was the fact that we were able to transmit data live in real time, um, something far more advanced than what, what Bluetooth technology is capable of doing. Not sure if you have a Bluetooth speaker or Bluetooth headphones, but I'm sure when you walk away from whichever device is transmitting music, it starts to get fuzzy. It starts to not be able to transmit. Um, that's a challenge of Bluetooth. Um, with our mouth guard, uh, we've developed a sideline receiver that allows us to transmit data live instantly uh, up to 300 yards. Um, so imagine for a second, Jeremy, uh, you're taping an ankle, you're still in the locker room, and one of your athletes takes a big impact. Without seeing it, um, without knowing how hard it is, even if you do see it, we're able to send you a real-time alert to your watch, to your mobile phone that says, hey, number 63 just took a 50G impact. Um, that's one of the ways that we are helping create additional eyes and ears on the field during games and obviously during practice sessions. One of the challenges um, that we found with our vector mouth guard is um, there are still a large subset of athletes that don't wear a mouth guard uh, or they want to wear some other form of fancy mouth guard with a logo on it. Um, and we knew teams wanted real-time data, which our Q Sport sensor wasn't able to provide because of just standard Bluetooth technology. Uh, so the third product we recently commercialized is our Q Plus. Um, we've basically taken uh, the form factor and ease of use of our Q Sport sensor, 
um, and the real-time system automation of our Q Plus and built it into um, new sensor technology um, that becomes far more affordable, um, um, far more easy to use, to, to operate. Um, and then we even took it one more step further and have started to build in technology that allows us to track the temperature inside of an athlete's helmet. So um, heat exhaustion is obviously a very uh, concerning uh, uh, injury. Um, so, um, you know, and then we're, we're taking it one more step further to start looking at performance-based analytics. So acute to chronic workload ratios, things like distance traveled, um, how fast, how far, um, um, basic metrics like that. But, um, you know, when you're looking at these impact tracking options, um, really, they're just different form factors. They have different features and functions. Uh, the most important part of all three of them is the data they collect and the data visualization that we provide that creates those coachable moments that creates an opportunity for an athletic trainer to see certain trends or certain patterns within his athletes or positional groups that can be controllable, that can be corrected, um, and that can create an improvement in performance and, and, and ultimately head health safety. So what are some of those patterns or trends that an athletic trainer would see they have seen and had made those adjustments? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really remarkable to hear some of the stories of how um, teams have been using this. Um, talking about athletic trainers specifically, um, Central Washington University um, is, is one of the uh, programs we work with. Um, oftentimes their athletic trainer or head athletic trainer can't get out into the practice field um, you know, before practice starts. He's still in there taping ankles, getting kids ready. And uh, there was one time where um, he was taping an ankle, got an alert on his watch from out on the field that one of his athletes took about a 55 G impact, um, went out there, looked for the athlete, saw he had already kind of taken his, you know, himself off, off to the side, but was able to use that alert, was able to use that notification as a way to see something where he wasn't even there in the first place to really see it. You know, he could go on, he got, went on his phone, saw where the impact on his head took place. And was able to use that as an additional tool on how he would diagnose, on how he would, um, you know, um, um, walk that athlete through his standard protocol as if he did see something. Uh, that kid ended up sitting out for two weeks. Um, so one of those ways is creating those additional eyes and ears um, if they are there or if they're not there. We work with a lot of high school programs and in um, – many cases you have athletic trainers that have to make a decision on do i stay at my home game or do i travel with the away team and um, in this particular scenario every single one of their athletes has a sensor in their helmet um, when this athletic trainer made the decision to stay at the home game the players that traveled to the away game um, played their game data was collected. When they came back, she was able to go download all of the impact data that was there. And the first thing that she would do is look at, okay, did anyone take a big impact that I should be somewhat concerned with? Um, if they did, she would contact them, she would catch them before the practice. But, you know, you think about 
creating context of what happens in a game setting to not even be there, um, it becomes a pretty valuable resource. Um, talking about it from uh, even, you know, an, an athletic training and, and coaching perspective, we had one high school program, um, you know, where um, I mentioned we send out these automated reports. Okay? So first report this, this athletic trainer and coach got highlighted that the top five kids with the most amount of crown of head impacts were their freshman line, right? So think about crown of head impacts for a second. That's targeting. That's not getting your head up. That's not getting your hands up. That's improper technique. And that's a high risk of injury, right? And, and you think of college football, if you're using the crown of the head, you're getting taken out of the game. And that's, you know, even um, what we see at the, the NFL level as well. So crown of head impacts are bad. And that's one of the main reasons why we, we specialize on that location. But in this particular situation, um, top five kids with the most amount of crown of head impacts were their freshman linemen. Uh, when the coach and athletic trainer saw that report, they went directly to the O-line coach, D-line coach, and said, hey, we want you to focus on specific drills on these kids, getting your head up, getting your hands up, getting off the line properly. Week over week, when they got their second report, they saw a 29% reduction in crown of head impacts. And so, you know, coaches do a remarkable job in the certifications and trying to teach proper technique. Um, but it's not always received well in their athletes. If you can't manage what you don't measure, right? So this provides an opportunity for athletic training staff and for coaching staff to have a bridge in this gap between how we teach our athletes to perform and how they're actually performing on the field, right? So you, what's the technique that, you know, every coach is teaching today? Rugby style, shoulder led, remove your head from contact. Um, you, there, there's just no way to, to fully understand if that's the technique our athletes are using unless we track that information. Because if we can track it, we can improve it. All right, so you mentioned multiple times the athletic trainer and the coaching staff. Do you have any high schools using this that it is coach led? Like as in that, there's not an athletic trainer um, either for the campus or at all. Do you have any high schools like that? You know, I don't know that we necessarily have any high schools without athletic trainers. Uh, maybe a few in, in California. I think California is maybe one of the few states where it's not um, required to have an athletic trainer. Um, I, I could, I could be wrong, but that's been, you know, some of the themes that we've been saying, but, um, this is in no way a replacement for an athletic trainer. Um, what we've done is we've developed technology that helps optimize the people that we have, um, that helps become a resource to the people on staff. So, I mean, if, if there are still programs out there that don't have an athletic trainer or maybe don't have access to an athletic trainer, that might be step one is typically our, our recommendation. Right. I'm always going to prefer an athletic trainer than to, to one piece of technology that's going to help with one specific thing with hundred <clears throat> percent. This, you know, this is, this is, it's sensor technology, right? It's data analytics. And when you think about both of those, this isn't decision-making technology. This is information um, on patterns, on trends, on, you know, summarizing hundreds of data points 
into meaningful information that isn't intended to make decisions for us, but to highlight opportunities on where we can make behavior modifications, technique adjustments, or ingest our um, clinical backgrounds on how we handle certain situations. Right. And so my situation here in, in Pasadena, here in Texas, it's similar. <clears throat> we have two full-time athletic trainers here at the high school. Um, and so we are able to provide a lot of healthcare for our athletes, but in places like you mentioned, California, where they may have a contract athletic trainer for games only. And so the, I'm just wondering how efficient that is, but also um, in places where even there in Washington, I know some of the athletic trainers, they'll teach class and then do athletic training after school. Well, if yeah. they've already got to teach, do lesson plans, grades, and then do athletic training and all the stuff that comes involved with that, I wouldn't want to add another, <clears throat> another task of managing the mouthpieces, making sure they're charged. And cause we haven't even talked about that. Like how do you manage the hardware, um, and those kind of things. And so is this something that could easily be run? by a coaching staff yeah so uh funny enough um we built this technology for youth programs uh, we knew that if you can have volunteer programs volunteer coaches um, programs that don't have athletic trainers um, embrace this type of technology and these basic operations we knew it was going to scale that much easier into high school where you did have a little bit more resources um, and then obviously that much easier uh, into um, the college level where you've got athletic training teams in some cases. Um, so, you know, we thought it was really important to build our company based on three really important pillars. Uh, pillar number one is uh, create a system that's easy to use. Um, the moment that this system becomes a burden, um, it loses its value. Um, it's, it was really important for us to create a system that was easy to use. Um, that's part of the reason we have three different types of sensor products because each of those have slightly different operational steps. Our QSport sensor is as easy as connect and download through a phone. Doesn't really get much, much, much easier than that. Now, our mouth guard and, and Q plus um, to get real time data, there's a little bit more of an ecosystem that that needs to be used and is managed, but it become it does become a little bit more of a plug in in, in, in play style of system. So, you know, operations for us was something that we knew we we had to take into account and we had to be 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 um, very ahead of because you're right. I mean, even with two athletic trainers, I'm sure you're still overwhelmed with the amount of sports and athletes that you have to handle. Um, so I think we do a remarkable job at creating easy best practices and operational processes for teams with athletic trainers or for youth programs with volunteer coaches uh, running and managing these systems. The second pillar that was really important for us was to create um, affordable packages. Um, you know, if it costs more than a dollar, sometimes it's too expensive. And so um, through our subscription models, um, through, again, having different products and features, um, we've been able to create a very wide range of 
packages and pricing options. So, um, you know, we, we weren't pricing ourselves outside of the youth market. We weren't pricing ourselves out of a high school market. Um, and then the third pillar and, and probably again, one of the, the most important is making sure that we answer the question of, well, what the heck do I do with the data? Um, if we're not doing a good job at that, then we're not allowing teams to embrace this information. Um, and so the thing that we do the best is data visualization, data automation, data summarization, um, allowing you to quickly look at a report that's sent to your inbox or, you know, access our web-based dashboard and quickly see, um, do I have an opportunity here to, to, you know, make a change, work closer with an athlete and, and improve their technique, improve their safety. Um, there might be days and weeks where it's a checklist, right? Everything looks good. No, no major outliers. And, and that's it. But I, I always go back to one of the things that's most important. You can't manage what you don't measure. Um, and we are in a, you know, a, 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 a day now where, you know, we know the, that, you know, the importance of, uh, concussions. Um, and now we know how important subconcussive impacts are. And so we, we have to reduce and limit the amount of exposure our athletes are taking. There's no way we'll be able to do that unless we can track those workloads, those counts and those location patterns. So, um, this is very much a system intended to keep our athletes on the field, to keep them playing, uh, to the technique that our, our coaches are teaching them. All right, I have a 11, nine and seven year old son thinking about youth football, managing the equipment. One of my sons will forget his backpack that he's wearing, right? And then one of my sons super responsible and won't forget anything anywhere. So talk to me about the managing the equipment. If you're yeah. focusing on mouthpieces that have to be, again, I don't even know, do they have to be charged? Do they have to be plugged in anything like that? And then brought to practice and brought to games. Um, so talk to me about the equipment management and what that looks like. Yeah. So, um, you know, all, all of these processes, again, were, were strategically thought through and designed for teams. Um, so we, we don't recommend that the players themselves are essentially responsible for um, their sensors specifically. Um, and so for the youth program, you know, while we've had a number of youth programs use our mouth guard system, in fact, we were selected by the CDC for the largest youth football study that's ever been conducted, um, that was 656 youth athletes. Um, but, um, the, the mouth guards have to be charged. Um, we provide, uh, rechargeable cases that, um, um, are plugged into to micro USB cords. Uh, typically, it would be a high school or a college program that would use our mouth guard systems. The way that they use those is uh, we jersey sticker the mouth guards, we jersey sticker the cases. Uh, they set up a table in their locker room. Those mouth guards are on the table, um, and athletes grab their mouth guards before practice. Um, sometimes that process works flawlessly, um, and sometimes schools aren't set up for the operational um, uh, processes of having mouth guards on a table and, and um, you know, always charging. Um, the Q Sport Sensor and Q Plus are probably our two most uh, efficient products. Um, 
part of what we supply our charging boards um, that comes as part of the package. So with our Q Sport sensor, 40 sensors fit into a charging board. Um, <clears throat> on the opposite side of where these sensors are plugged into, we have the jersey number. So in the youth setting, what happens is um, one of the coaches comes out with their charging board and almost uses it as a way to um, take attendance, um, you know, and it became part of their process or part of the process of put them in the helmets, go to practice. Afterwards, they put them back on the charge boards and then they download the data. So um, it's as out of sight, out of mind as, as, as you can get. And, um, you know, um, it, 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 it definitely becomes an efficient, repeatable process um, where, um, you know, I think the process that is involved um, is outweighed by the value you get out of it, right? So is, you know, if it takes us five minutes to connect and put sensors and helmets, but we're able to see all this information, I think that's worth it, so. In the Q, the Q Plus, so tell me a little bit more about the sensors that attach to the helmet. Are they glue-on, are they magnetic? Yeah, no, good, good question. So we provide uh, helmet clips. Uh, the clip goes up inside the helmet. Um, depending on the helmet that you're using inside of our user manual, we tell you where to put the clip. So the clip's a one-time install. Um, and then the sensor just pops in and out. Where that becomes really attractive um, is where teams have football, they have lacrosse, um, some high schools or colleges we work with um, have hockey, um, and we've been able to work inside some hockey helmets. Um, they're able to use it in football in the fall, move it to lacrosse in the spring. So they're actually amortizing those helmet sensors uh, across multiple athletes in multiple sports. Again, we're talking about helmets, and I know when I looked on the website, it showed a headband. And so other, other than attaching to the helmet, this is something that has to be you know, worn or attached to the head. So um, we um, also uh, work with a few women's soccer teams and um, women's lacrosse teams. They don't wear helmets. Um, but what we found is um, in women's soccer, a lot of the female athletes were wear those hairbands. So the way the clip was designed is it can clip to the back of a hairband um, or in the uh, case of women's lacrosse where they don't wear helmets, they wear those eye goggles make a clip to the back of the eye goggle. So um, it isn't, so you don't attach it to a headband and wear it under a helmet. It, it just allows us to scale into additional sports um, and allow programs to amortize those costs across multiple athletes as well. Thinking about, you know, here at the high school, we'll have a, you know, a hundred pound wide receiver and we have a 300 pound lineman does that sensor have to be set up for that kid and accounts for body weight height and all that stuff no so how accurate is the that was a 5g force um notification yeah i mean um so accuracy in in, in compared to what so if you're looking at like the force is always the force sure. equals mass times uh acceleration right is that right it's been a while since i take physics um and so if you got the, the mass of the 90 pound kid or, you know, the, his head that weighs 10 pounds versus the one that yeah. weighs 20 pounds, just, just thinking about the data, like how do we say this blanket, um, sensor, this sensor works 
the same. It can measure the same force across multiple different uh, body sizes. Yeah. So, so body size doesn't matter. I mean, we use center of gravity as a component. It, it, it's pretty complex what's going on um, in the background in terms of the algorithms, the classifiers, um, the amount of data calculations that we're doing in milliseconds to be able to pr provide that information instantly. When you talk about accuracy, um, number one, it's, you know, you, 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 you've got to look at a few of the different data points that we're looking at, right? And, and, and accuracy is going to change depending on if you're looking at a mouth guard that's connected to your upper jaw, which is your skull, which means where your head moves, your, your mouth guard moves, right? Compared to a helmet affixed sensor, uh, which is attached to a helmet and um, in some cases moves slightly independently of, of a head. Um, but, but when you're looking at the data points that we collect, um, impact locations, um, they're, they're going to be the same. Um, and, and that's a function of the gyroscopes, triaxial gyroscopes that we have in um, this, every one of our sensors that allows us to track rotational acceleration. Um, uh, impact counts, function of our triaxial um, accelerometers, that's going to track impact workloads, right? So um, those two things aren't going to change. Those two things, depending on if you're using a mouth guard or depending on if you're using the helmet sensor, um, you're going to be able to track those exactly the same. Talking specifically about G-Force, um, that's where there can be uncontrollable um, variables that might um, cause accuracy from what we've seen to change anywhere between five to 7%. But, but let's peel that back for a second. So um, with a mouth guard, right, we're tightly coupled to the skull. So um, we're, we're, that's the most accurate way to track head kinematic data. Um, in a helmet affixed sensor, those uncontrollable variables can sometimes be tightness of helmet, how much hair does the athlete have, and, and you know, creating that distance away from the skull. Um, so when we're in our lab and we're comparing the mouth guard versus the helmet sensor versus the DTS reference in our head form, we're spot on. They're, they're, they're all exactly the same. Um, on the field, we sometimes find that there can be anywhere from a five to seven percent variance. Even if you're 100 percent accurate, you know, G-force becomes and, and, and is one of those uncontrollable variables. It's important information. But but what we've learned is that there is no G-force that tells us whether or not you have a concussion. Um, I could take a 40 G impact and have a concussion, you might be able to take a 60 G impact and be fine. I think it's a really important indicator in terms of obviously the severity of the impact and the harder the impact, the more likelihood of um, the concussion, but it becomes uncontrollable in the sense of, I can't control how hard of an impact you're taking. But what I can control is how many impacts you're taking and where those impacts are happening. And if we reduce, if we know how many impacts you're taking, we can reduce the number. If we reduce the number, we reduce the likelihood of concussions. And if we reduce, you know, 
likelihood of concussions, we keep our athletes safe. So um, really good question in terms of, you know, G-force and and, and accuracy. I think that's where a lot of people go with this technology is, well, how do I know um, if an athlete has sustained a concussion? And and that's the confusing part about concussions. We just don't know. Um, And and so, um, you know, what what we do know is that head impacts are bad. Um, we do know that we need to, um, remove crown of head impacts. And the only way we can do that is by tracking it and improving it. All right. So obviously it, it, again, is it another tool for someone to make a decision, you know, similar to an impact test or sway, you know, okay, well, this doesn't say, yes, you do have it. It's a, it's a, Hey, go check this kid. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of, that's the upper limit. You know, let's go, that's 30 G's. Okay. Let's go check that kid. Let's go just have that conversation. Let's go use our other tools. That's kind of an indicator. And so I like that. Um, again, it's not trying to say, Hey, this will solve concussions. This will stop concussions, right? This is just, this is a way for you to more quickly and accurately recognize an impact that may cause. And then obviously there's the back end data for those scientists that really love to look at all that stuff. Um, right. but it's simple enough for somebody like me that I don't like to look at the numbers. I, you know, I, I just, it's not something I get excited about. Um, you don't have time to do it too. Right. I mean, you don't have time to, you know, run pivot tables and, um, you know, look through spreadsheets and, um, that is why, I mean, we, you know, data analytics is about baselines, trends, and outliers. Outliers are controllable, right? When we see, you know, or have teams that talk about their linebackers are taking three times more impacts compared to any other athlete. I mean, like that becomes kind of like a, wow, we didn't, we didn't know that. Um, but, but what does that then allow them to do? It allows them to go work closer with those linebackers on specific techniques, specific patterns, specific drills. And so, um, the data analytics aspect of things is the visualization of things that we can't, can, you know, see through film, uh, compute through standing on the sidelines. So, you know, you're spot on when you talk about, um, it not being a decision maker, but it being a resource, um, it being um, an extension of our staff. Um, concussions are a cognitive injury. Sensor technology is not designed to read cognitive behaviors. Um, and so that's often a point of confusion when um, y- you know people think about sensor technology and its correlation to concussions. Um, its correlation is to uh, impact counts, impact location patterns. G-force is obviously a really important um, factor in some of those things. Our ability to look at average G-force by team, by position group, um, by athlete, and then you know be able to show those those baselines and outliers. So um, you know I I always just go back to to one of the things that I really think summarizes it, and that's um, you can't manage what you don't measure. Um, you know, one of the high schools we work with over in, in, in Eastern Washington here talked a lot about how they were able to see the impacts that would normally go unseen, um, but use the data to change the way that their athletes engaged in contact, right? 
that that's what we're there for. We're there to provide those things that you can't see. We're there to create those patterns that you don't know are there. Um, and if we know that, then, then our athletic training staff and our coaching staff can do what they do best. And that's, you know, improve player performance and safety. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the logistics, uh, maybe the cost, the longevity of the devices. Yeah. Uh, is there, you know, a free replacement program, something like that. So talk about the logistics of actually getting the devices into the school and the costs. Yeah. So um, we operate off of a subscription model. And part of the reason that we do a subscription model is because we don't think that there um, that there are programs out there that need to be buying sensors, need to be buying charging boards, need to be buying helmet clips, need to be buying these sideline receivers. And so as part of a subscription package, what you're doing is you're subscribing to um, the data analytics, and we're basically leasing you the sensors, the accessories, everything that you need to run and manage the system. Um, we do one, two, and three-year contracts. And so as part of those contracts, um, not only are we able to keep costs low depending on quantity of athletes and then length of contracts, but let's say you use a mouth guard and um, you lose it or a helmet sensor stops working or you're going from football to the cross and you need more accessories. We just replace that. There's no added costs. There's um, no um, um, nothing that teams need to worry about except for making sure that you're getting your data and that you're embracing it. So um, we keep that part simple. It's been a proven way to uh, one, not only keep costs down, um, but has been a way for these under-resourced, um, less affluent areas to be able to um, implement this technology. So, um, you know, you hear me talk a lot, removing burdens. Like, I don't need you to be worrying about how many mouth guards you need to buy, you know, going in from one season to the next. Um, we have that under control. We're, we're, we're going to take care of you. And we do that through our subscription model. Mark asked questions about the data. Where is it stored? How's it stored? What do I do with it? And so my, you know, two-year subscription ends and we decide, okay, we're not going to redo it this year, maybe in a couple of years, something like that. And so is that data now all lost or kept with you? So talk about yeah, that. Yeah, great, great question. So, um, you know, we take data security and especially in this world, um, ex extremely uh, serious. You know, our, our background is... Uh, many of the founding people who built this was, was in data security and, um, you know, medical, uh, data security. And so, um, while we are not a medical device, um, we follow a lot of the same practices of HIPAA, of FERPA. Um, so, you know, data is stored, de-identified on multiple servers, um, in the event that one day maybe this does become a medical device, um, we're protected. Um, but, but still not being a, a medical device, um, data security is so important. And to keep it secure, um, we own the data. Um, it, 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 it allows us to obviously, by, by owning it, we can compute it. We can um, store it. We can um, um, hang on to it. You know, we've had some programs where um, they've done, you know, two, three year contracts, 
then COVID happened and before, you know, they didn't want to renew until um, sports came back. Once they renewed, we just turned it back on and, and, and all their historical data is there. So, um, you know, it's it, it's probably a little bit more complex than how I'm describing it. But, um, you know, um, it's something that we take very seriously. And um, in terms of, you know, data collection, really what what we're we're getting in terms of player information is really just name, jersey number and position. So. Um, you know, it isn't, it isn't advanced information that we're, we're collecting and storing. Gotcha. And then if at the end of my, say my, again, we're two years, my end of my year contract, I know it's coming up and I say, Hey, Andrew, can I download that data so that I can look over it over the next year or so uh, I can use that to continue present to the board or, you know, demonstrate to coaches. Is that an option? Yeah. Yep. You have, you know, free range to all your data and the tools that we have as a subscribing member. And should you choose not to resubscribe? Um, yeah, I mean, you can export all that information and, and have access to it. Absolutely. You said that there's a lot of, a lot of things that are being collected, a lot of data, a lot of science. Um, it, do you feel like there's anybody who is really using all of the data that you're collecting? Um, it seems like a college research program would be the closest, but. Well, you know, um, I mean, there, there's really two components of our business. Um, there's the team aspect, which teams want to know, was there an impact? Where did it take place? And about how hard was it? Right. And, and, and with that data, there are a number of different reports and trends and patterns and outliers that that we can model for for programs. But from a research side, um, they're looking at it from an understanding of what what is happening to our brains, right? What is happening to our heads? And so um, the data that they're gathering is um, impact waveforms. So being able to plot, you know, an impact in, in what we see in most cases is the peak data, peak linear acceleration, right? Peak rotational acceleration, peak rotational velocity. But what they want to see is well, what is happening during those 30 milliseconds from initial impact to when the you know brain stops moving. And, and we're actually able to collect all of that data um, with our mouth guard. Um, so that becomes really attractive. Um, um, you know, the rotational acceleration, rotational velocity. Um, so, so there's, I mean, w- when you're looking at the amount of, of data that we collect, I would say that the research partners are certainly the ones that really do a deep dive into, um, you know, the, the far advanced data, uh, um, you know, looking at things in radians per second squared, right? I mean, if I were to see that as a coach or an athlete, I wouldn't really know what to, to do with it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I change my athlete's technique based on rotational acceleration. Um, but, um, but, but to a research partner and to someone who is using it as a way to collect head kinematic data, um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, a lot of the research studies that we are doing, 
um, we are we are a, a tool and they'll model it with cognitive tests, MRIs, you know, a, a number of other uh, components. Um, but you have to remember until this mouth guard was commercialized, there was no other way for researchers to get this type of head kinematic data on a athlete on a field setting in real time. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's really been game changer in, in so many different ways. Right. So essentially we're shaping the future of the equipment. You know how they, you always see the commercials about, well, we're making the turf safer or we're making the helmet safer, that kind of thing. And this is, this is how it's done. What have you seen as a, the biggest barrier to entry with athlete intelligence? Yeah, I think it's probably, um, um, the fact that the market is still fairly nascent. Um, while we've been commercialized since 2015, here we are in 2022 and, you know, you know, you're in deep to the athletic training community, of course, and, you know, still isn't fairly educated on what head impact monitoring is. And so what we, what we've done is we've really invested our time in being those educators. Um, I've been contracted by the NATA to do uh, CEU courses on head impact monitoring and um, data analytics. Um, um, this is a really exciting time for us right now. Um, also because the NATA just updated their position statement for the first time, I think in seven years. Um, and as part of that update, a huge component was encouraging teams to look at impact sensor technology as a way to identify incorrect head first contact. That is exactly what we do. And that is exactly what we highlight. Um, but, but, but I don't think a lot of, um, you know, the market is still very educated on, um, what this technology is and more importantly, um, how it becomes resourceful. We go to a lot of conferences and one of my, my favorite things to do when coaches or, or athletic trainers are, are, are walking by is, you know, asking, hey, what, what do you do for head impact monitoring? Um, and oftentimes I get two different replies, right? Well, one, what, what's head impact monitoring? Or two is, oh, we, we do baseline testing. Um, very different things, which validates that this is still new and in that, um, is not fully understood by many people. So, uh, we, you know, we try to solve that by being educators. Um, we understand that our technology specifically might not be the best solution for, um, every program out there. Um, but, but we are firm believers that head impact monitoring and managing and, um, having the understanding of what head impact workloads look like is important. Um, and if we can be a resource and a solution for teams, great. If we maybe aren't the best option and there's another option out there that we can direct them to, um, or that they're, um, looking at as well, do something. Um, we think something needs to be done. Um, so, uh, you know, going back to your question in terms of barrier, I would just say, um, the education of the market. Um, oftentimes, I mean, we hear people saying that, um, you know, cost is a barrier. Many times that comes before they know uh, how much the system itself costs. 
Um, and but and that's because, you know, sensor technology, data analytics, it sounds expensive. Um, and uh, even with that, like we know the nature of athletic budgets, um, but, you know, there there are a number of ways that we've been able to see um, some of the, you know, most less affluent areas be able to bring on this type of technology outside of athletic budgets, booster clubs, parents, sponsorships, um, STEM budgets, technology levies. Um, in fact, one of the things that um, we've also been able to do is establish really key relationships with insurance and risk management providers. In fact, um, Texas is one of um, the larger states where we work with a number of um, the brokers within the state and um, the company that we've actually partnered with um, who sells insurance to the broker, if you buy insurance from their broker, the insurance company will help subsidize the cost of our system. So if there's not a, a, a better sign of a risk management and insurance company, you know, showing their support and why it's so important to, um, you know, uh, embrace or, or, or at least, um, you know, at least look into this type of technology. Um, I think, you know, seeing what insurance companies are doing, seeing how the NATA um, is fully endorsing this. I mean, a lot of the, the stars are starting to align on why this is so important, why teams need to take a look at it. So that's really interesting. You said, you know, sponsorships, because whenever I think of sponsorships, usually it involves somebody's name or logo on your t-shirt or something like that. Um, so what have you seen, uh, maybe some specific details or whatever about schools getting those subsidized or sponsored? Because if, if cost seems to be a barrier to injury, one, you know, they need to talk to you and find out what the actual cost is. Sure. And then two, what are some of the ways that they can be, we can, we right now can reduce the barrier of cost for them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So sponsorship has, has really been a, a key way. And I think part of the reason why is, um, on how teams have been able to almost create a, a, a story, um, you know, through sponsorships, through, through, spun, through, through fundraising, um, on, you know, not necessarily just putting your logo on a t-shirt or having your logo on a banner on our field, but actually investing in our head health safety. Um, head health safety is one of the most important things that I feel like we can really be focused on when it comes to these contact and collision sports. I mean, how many more articles do, do we have to, you know, see about the effects of um, CTE and concussions and, you know, we're not here to change the way that these sports are being played. We enjoy that barbaric nature that's still involved in these contact and collision sports, but, but clearly through the techniques and things that we're, we're teaching our athletes to do, it can be played safer. Um, we can reduce, um, you know, a lot of those controllable areas, but, um, because we have that message around head health safety, that is something that people want to get behind. Um, it's very often where, you know, a parent, a company, a local sponsor, an organization, a hospital, um, there are so many different ways that will support community, support head health safety, support student athletes, 
um, that um, really it just starts with the discussion um, and, um, you know, oftentimes leads with them being able to, to implement this technology. I mean, you know, our mouth guard, I, I don't know if you saw the, the, the pictures of our mouth guard, but we have that uh, protrusion on the outside and that's where we have that vector sticker. We've um, been able to put uh, company logos on that. I mean, it's, you know, we, <laughs> we're able to, um, you know, do some pretty cool things, um, with the technology that we have, but, um, you know, cost in athletics, it, it is a, it, it is a barrier, even if you are the most affluent school. Um, and so, um, we've been able to identify a lot of paths. So cost does not become that barrier. Yeah. And again, that's always one of the big things. And, you know, again, we're looking at another budget cut. And so, Essentially, we yeah. got to figure out a way to do what's best for the student athlete. I, like I mentioned before, I have an 11, a 9, a 7-year-old son. If any of them want to play football, it would not be until they're in high school because mm -hmm. in currently in our school district, we don't have athletic trainers in the junior, in the intermediates or junior highs. Because, and so it's, I'm not going to allow my kids to play collision sports when there's not a medical professional to care sure. for them. Like, so if, if they wanted to play youth football, if they don't employ an athletic trainer to be there to take care of them, then the answer is going to be no. I don't think collision youth football is necessary. They could play flag football and learn sports. But um, again, I think it's super important to have that person there to be able to use this stuff. So um, I, th I feel like we've done a really good intro uh, overview. Is there anything you feel like is really missing out of this conversation that athletic trainers need to hear about athlete intelligence or head impact monitoring? You know, the biggest thing is we, we just want to um, encourage people to learn more about it. Um, clearly um, this is the way that sports <clears throat> is going, um, you know, and um, whether this type of technology is a, fit for your, your program um, or not. Um, I just think just learning about it and staying ahead of what's coming is, um, you know, things that we, we, we should be, be doing as practitioners, as, you know, just staying up to date with, with you know, all the things that are coming out. So um, that's one of the things that we love doing the most. We, we love providing demos. We love talking about this. We love when programs um, who are interested in this type of technology um, talk about the challenges that they might have implementing it. Um, and, and what we're really good at is being solution providers. Um, so um, it's just been so remarkable to have discussions um, with programs who have never heard of this technology, who have been fearful of the operations, who have been concerned about costs to now being those who embrace it the most. Um, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll share one, one quick last story because I just, I, I think it's really, um, you know, insightful, but um, we had another youth program that we were, we were working with and, you know, the board made the decision that they, we're going to um, implement this and everyone was on board and there was kind of one coach who was a little bit more old school, um, had been coaching for a number of years, had kind of his, his way of doing things and um, wasn't as far, I guess what you would say is technologically advanced as, as some of the other members. So I think at first they, they talked about him being a little standoffish, right? 
But once they opened up these reports to him, once he was able to see, hey, coach, here's your top five athletes with the most amount of crown and head impacts, he went from being like, I don't know about this technology stuff. Every practice was, who are my top five? Who are my top five? And he, he, he became the one kind of embracing it the most. So I think that's part of the reason that we, we, we are um, encouraging people to um, learn about it, um, you know, talk to us about it. Um, because oftentimes those, those, those ones who are most concerned or, or worried about certain aspects of it, um, I think we're, we do a really good job of clearing up confusion and, and helping them fully understand and, on, on how they can embrace it. And, um, if it's a good fit, great. Um, but if not, um, at least, you know, they're thinking about the future and, and, and how this might um, be able to, uh, be an aspect of their program down the road. So, um, it's just, it's just really fun to talk about. So, um, I love having these conversations. So we are actually going to continue the conversation off camera, off recording about what it would look like here in my school district. Sure. So maybe at some point we would, we'd be able to come back on the podcast and, you know, talk about the logistics and what it looks like here. If, if we can make something like that happen. So if you want to get a hold of, Kevin, which he's been kind of a silent partner here. Um, he is K W R I G H T at athleteintelligence.com. Andrew, you put your email as a golden at athleteintelligence.com. And again, everybody that listens knows how to get a hold of me. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash athlete intelligence. Um, and then you also have a link in there that's if you want to book a demo, it's athleteintelligence.com and then there's something right there on the website that says book a demo they're really good way to get a hold of you just go to our website i mean we have a lot of information on our website um you know whether you want to do research on your own um whether you want to book a demo with us but email uh, is the best way uh go do your research on on our website uh, we've got a lot of info booklets um our our resources page is probably my favorite page because it's where we talk about um, a lot of the programs that we work with. We have a really cool series called uh, Talking Sports Tech, um, where we um, talk to a lot of our uh, partners about some of the new things that they're doing within their program. That's kind of more on the technology side. A um, little bit about, you know, the how they use our system, but a lot focused on um, just the advancements in sports and performance and safety. So um, website, email address, probably the best ways. All right, very cool. So I have some partners here on the podcast and I could see hoist hydration, you know, maybe sponsoring the mouthpieces and you could have ho drink hoist on. If you want to check out hoist, I know my students have really enjoyed the powder packets. It's actually a much more cost effective way. You can get the powder packets uh, and then you just add them to whatever water bottles. So it's a lot cheaper than and space-wise storing the powder packets is easier than storing a full bottle um so if you want to do that at your school to help hydrate your student athletes or you personally then i really like hoist i personally like the fruit punch my coworker sophia likes the peach mango so check those out uh, again if you want to check this the contact information any of the questions that we answered as much as i can i've typed up the answers uh it'll be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash athlete intelligence so for jeremy andrew kevin and the sports medicine broadcast that is a wrap thanks